It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You're listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. Welcome to the show. Today is Sunday, October 5th, 2014, and my name is Steve. I am joined by both Hamilton and Kurt. And guys, let's get to it. In tonight's show, we'll look back at our 2014 Braves predictions that we made before the start of the regular season, and we'll also check in on the postseason games. But first, we're very happy to be joined by the great David O'Brien, the Braves beat writer for the AJC, and a must-follow on Twitter at D-O'BrienAJC. David, thanks for joining us. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing fine, man. Thanks for, uh, right. thanks for making the time. Uh-huh. All right, so David... I want to start here. I was shocked on Friday that the Braves made the announcement about Freddie coming back before the GM announcement had been made. You know, I interpret it as either the GM decision has actually been made, meaning Hart or Capalella, or that they're really taking the Freddie decision out of the hands of the incoming GM, which I just can't wrap my head around. What is your take on the fact that they made that announcement? Uh, well, I wasn't surprised at all because I thought it was pretty obvious when at the uh, at the Frank Wren press firing press conference, that uh, they were going to stick with Freddie from from Bobby's comments and also from uh, John Hart's comments to us afterwards. Uh, even though Cheryl said also kind of contradictory had said that you know that they they think the next GM should have a say in that is traditionally the way it goes and all that. So uh, you know if you put two and two together, then obviously it would lead you to believe that it's either going to be John Hart or, or Copy and uh, and that they've already. You know, made it clear that they would stick with Freddie. But uh, the other, on the, the other way you could go with it as when they go through the GM candidates, if they, if they did, if they, if John decided not to take the job and they go outside and don't go with Copy, then uh, you know they could tell the next guy that we really, obviously, strongly believe in Freddie. And uh, if you have a real problem with that, then obviously there's gonna, it's not going to work. I mean, you know, I mean, if they want to. If they want to hire, if they didn't feel like they, like John Hart was ready to make an announcement yet about taking the job, but at the same time they didn't want to leave Freddie twisting in the wind, then they might have, that, that, they might, that could be the reason they did it. I mean, you don't want to leave just everybody, everything hanging, because the speculation was already just so rampant, and, and the misinformed speculation, I might add, and you know, if you were Freddie Gonzalez and you did want him to keep keep him as your manager, then there are other openings coming up. Uh, even though Freddie had, had uh, with the self-deprecating thing when I asked him, you know, he said it's not like I'm uh, I'm John Gruden. You know, it's like a <laughs> big demand for me. But 
you know, there are uh, there are other jobs that would have come open, and 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 if you don't know if you're coming back, and they haven't given you any kind of uh, of uh, of uh, idea about. You're not just going to sit out there and let things go past, even if it's not a manager job, it's another job. So, long story short, I think they thought the bigger problem was Frank Wren. I mean, and Bruce Mano, and then that the whole that, that administration, and they thought that Freddie didn't last year wasn't an accurate uh, representation of what Freddie can do with a team, and and they want to go with it and, and give him another shot. Now, you know, next year obviously they're going to be expecting a whole lot more because. Uh, if they're giving him a vote of confidence and, and believing that he can do a lot better with a different roster and a different mindset at the top, and and uh, and they're going to expect a lot more. But you know, you, they didn't think that the roster that he was given last year, and I didn't either. And, and to disregard my personal feelings for Freddie or whatever, because I do like the guy, and I think he's a pretty good manager. Um, but I don't think that anybody could have won big with that roster. I mean, I think that was the most dysfunctional offense that I've ever. I think that I've ever covered, and I, you know, with the exception of maybe the 108 loss Marlins team that I once covered, but that was a team that had a bunch of Double A AA and Triple A guys in the majors, and they were just there because they had blown up the the '97 World Series championship team. So that really doesn't count. This this offense was put together like it, it was put together with no thought about how the pieces intermingled or how they went together, and they went together terribly. And and on top of what we've already we've discussed ad nauseum is there was no leadership in that clubhouse and the players would disagree probably because they don't want to you know admit as much or whatever but there's no leadership in that team on that clubhouse and that is a big to me glaring deficiency especially when you watch these playoff teams and you see exactly what we're talking about because all those teams have leadership they have guys who take charge on the field show some emotion rally the troops all that all those cliches. Say what you want, dismiss it, but they all have a guy like that. Who do the Braves have like Eric Hosmer, for instance? Yeah. I mean... Who? Nobody. Right. It seems like Hayward's the closest, but he feels like a bit of a lame duck. Because he's not extended. I don't know how he feels, you know, how he feels, but I could see where he would feel that way, having been signed to just a deal that carries through next year when guys like, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman are, are signed to seven-year deals and and Tehran and Kimbrell and Simmons and all those guys are signed for a long time. I can see where he would feel that way. And also, he's a guy that, you know, has had trouble staying healthy for a full season and really producing at a top level for a full season. Now, this year he got back to, you know, what we were expecting, more of the player we were expecting, but he's still not a superstar-type player. You know, when, when you look at the numbers, I mean, he was a superstar as a rookie, no doubt. But, you know, he was right alongside Buster Posey at that time, and look how their careers have gone since then. So, I can see where he would, you know, he might not feel t- entirely comfortable yet trying to lead a, lead a team, and and especially if he doesn't know where he's going to be after next year. So, did, David, Freddie did, Freeman is not that type of personality. Yeah. Do Do you know? Did Freddie Gonzalez or the front office try to do anything like ask certain players or try to insert themselves to try to address the leadership issues? Ask them that. Ask them that directly. Ask them that the day after the season ended. Uh, his answer is, it's you know, basically, it's, it's got to be an organic type thing where people you can't tell people to be a leader. Mm. You know, they have they've, they've talked to guys and and and, and about that, uh, uh, you know, kind of informally, feel them out, see which way they want, you know, see if they're capable of doing that or comfortable with that. And my 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 impression is that none of the guys really felt like they it was the time for them to step forward and do that. And uh, you know, and ask Freddie about if they if they had any team meetings and 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 that's my question. Day after season ended, and he 
really said there was he only called the last one he called was in Seattle, so that kind of surprised me. But and that the players had called maybe one team meeting in San Diego, and other than that, none during that whole uh, uh, collapse. Uh, and I think I don't think that's too strong a word to say it was a collapse because it was again. So. Um, you know, and I think that's why they've, they've got to look at who your manager is, who your coaching staff is, and they've already begun to address that. I think Bo Porter was a huge hire in that regard. I think he can be that kind of guy who's a little younger, 42 years old, can relate a little more to the players, played himself not too long ago. And I think that's important. You can't have all guys who've been detached from the game for a long time. Uh, you know, Terry Finland obviously has respect across the board and all that, and they know who he is and all that. But you've got to have, I think, more than – uh, I think you got to have some guys on the coaching staff who can really relate and getting getting some guys' faces or, or, or motivate them without getting in their faces, whatever it takes. But I think Bo Porter's a good hire in that regard. And I think the hitting coach will be a, a hire along those lines, too. I think they'll get somebody who is uh, who is uh, can be that type of uh, of a presence with the guys. And they'll, they'll make sure as much as they can that they get the right guy. I, I think that's a really important hire because you've got some hitters on this team that really need – a guy who's there and willing to say what he sees wrong in their swings and 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 let them know that you know it's not enough just to acknowledge that okay you know it's, 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 I, I hear what you're saying no you got to actually apply it. I think Greg Walker knows his stuff and I've been told that by everyone from Terry Pendleton to players who, with with the White Sox who played for him they, he knows his stuff but he just didn't get through to some or some of these guys just did not want wanted to get through wouldn't apply it couldn't apply it whatever but I you know I don't think it was a uh, a flaw with Greg Walker I really don't uh, on why this offense was so bad I just think you know they were lacking a couple of key pieces that you need to have to drive a to drive an offense. And some guys were not willing to make the adjustments that he and Fletcher recommended. Yeah, David, you made reference to that a bunch over the last few months, that Walker and Fletcher were given the right messages, but those messages just weren't being taken. Did that dynamic create friction between the players, between the players and the coaches? Like, did that become a thing? I don't know. I I don't have any evidence of that. I haven't heard anybody criticizing Fletcher or Walker ever. In fact, they defended him, you know, down the stretch. I mean, when I asked him point blank when the offense was, you know, uh, in its beginning of its season-ending tailspin, I asked guys, you know, uh, Chris Johnson, uh, Jason Hayward, Justin Upton, I asked them, you know, is this blame for this offense going Greg Walker? And to the man, they said, no, not at all. The hitting coach doesn't get a bit hit. It's us. So, None of them rolled their eyes and said, no comment, I'm not the guy to ask about that. Uh, off the record, blah, blah, blah. None of them did that. They all supported him. So I think they felt bad for the guy. Yeah. But feeling bad for the guy and saying that that it wasn't his fault is one thing, and, and going out and applying what they're trying to be taught, trying to teach him is another. So, Well, David, you talked about, obviously, the, the deficiencies that, that this team had the, on, on surface with Frank putting uh-huh. the team together. And it, after he was fired, some stuff came out about his, his working style, his people skills, right. and that being part of it too. Um, right. And that John Shorts even said that, that this had been even three years in the making. Did you, do you, did you get to see any of that behind-the-scenes discord going on? Well, guys, you would hear guys make comments about it off the record all the time. I mean... The coaching staff did not – there were members of the coaching staff that did not 
like the way Frank ran things. Some of the decisions he made, a lot of the things they did, uh, whether it was contracts, whether it was just the general the way that he handled them or made them feel the importance of their positions, that kind of thing. It didn't feel like they were they didn't feel like they were appreciated, uh, and that's been brewing for a while. Yes, uh, and I think they didn't like uh, a lot of people didn't like you know. I don't want to say intermingling, but heavy-handedness and uh, micromanaging, trying to, instead of, Charles was known as be a delegator of authority to hire people and give them complete trust to do their jobs. Wren didn't have that. Didn't have, people did not say that about, my, about Frank Wren, that he would hire people and let them do their jobs. Uh, a lot of people, especially when things go south and the team starts struggling, uh, then those kind of things come to the surface. They don't come to the surface when you're in division. You're winning division in 96, you know, you win in 96 games in the division title a year ago. You can get by with those kind of things. And, uh, but when you start losing, people start pointing a finger and going, you know, we don't like that interference from the top, whether it be, uh, uh, implied, you know, that you, these guys need to play or, this guy needs to be doing this, or he needs to be correcting his swing this way. You know, just stuff that, that probably should not be coming from uh, the front office. It should be coming instead from the coaches or the manager. So, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff brewing. And, and when things go awry like they did this year, all those things become issues. Winning covers up a whole lot of stuff, as you know. But uh, yeah, and and do you? And you might not have no sense of this, but I, I mean, if the Braves come back and win ninety six games this year, do you think all this shakeup is happening? I mean, do you think Frank no. gets fired? No. And do you think Absolutely they o- completely overmake their their farm system and their scouting department? Do you think all these Absolutely guys stay in not. place? So, in in some ways, and I've talked to some other people about this. A uh, couple of broadcasters I've, I, I talked to about this too. Um, that as as horrible as that September was for the Braves, that week when Frank got fired, towards the end of the week, people were saying, you know what, rock bottom, this is what the Braves needed, this is a good week overall for the Braves, because they wouldn't have. If you won the division, even if you'd have won the wild card and got in, especially if you'd have won the wild card, won the wild card game and got to a division series, it's really hard to clean house or say that these problems are brewing and all if you do that, you know, because you're one of those teams, you're one of the four teams in the in the uh, division series round. So this probably needed to happen for them to clean house and do the make the moves that they felt like they, uh, you know, they saw this. You know, John Charles talked about him and Bobby have been talking since June about things that have been amiss in the uh, in the farm system and and just not the Braves' way, quote unquote, and all that. So those things would not have come to the fore, I don't think, if they would have advanced into the playoffs. So this probably needed to happen, hit rock bottom like this. And uh, and the offense probably needed to be as bad as it was for people to realize it's not a good offense. It didn't make it, – it was dysfunctional. It did not fit – the pieces just did not fit. Every one of those pieces probably could do fine in another offense with the certain players around them, but not, those pieces together do not fit. So David- your marquee guy is, if for instance, is Justin Upton. You know, when that's the guy that your offense depends so much upon, he can absolutely carry a team for two, three weeks at a time. But then he can go a whole month where he's a non-factor. I mean, he's the streakiest, really good hitter that I've ever seen. So you can't build an offense around that type of player. He's a great piece to have in a lineup that's got some steady hitters, that's got a leadoff hitter, that's, that scores runs you know, without home runs. But he's not a good uh, piece for, uh, or he's not the 
piece to build your offense around. David, what did you think about all the Braves way talk? I mean, I, I came away from that press conference feeling like it was kind of spin. You know, you three yeah. guys who have been up there, you've been around. It's not like Frank was working alone without any, you know, without any consultation from you. Um, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's romanticized to a degree, and it's and it's guy that was the guys that were there for the glory years, uh, and things are different now, and the, the game's changed, and a lot more. There's a lot more parity, and a lot more teams are are competitive now with. Uh, because of revenue sharing and and, uh, and 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 analytical, the way that some teams are using uh, uh, sabermetrics and and getting a lot more analytical in their approaches, it's just it's different. The game is different, and it's not the same teams that are uh, at the top every year. Look at the Yankees. I mean, you know, they can spend tons of money. You just can't throw money at every hole and, and fill it. But the Braves' way, every team that's really has a tradition and a long tradition has a quote unquote. You know, Braves way with the with the Dodgers, the Dodger way, the Oriole way. We always heard about that with Cal Ripken's dad. Uh, the Cardinals are the, probably the, the most famous for having the Cardinal way. They have a book that's you know a couple of hundred pages long that's got everything from the minor league system and how you wear your uniform and how you stand to attention during the national everything to two strike approaches. It's got it all in there, you know. And this has been a private thing that they've had forever. Uh, so the Braves way. That's probably a convenient way for them to say. You know, this things have not in the past two or three years gone the way that we want them to go. So, for lack of a better term, you know, as a general, as a general uh, uh, overview or criticism or critique of how things have gone, they just what they use. They're not the Braves way. That's a real general way of doing it, rather than breaking it down and talking about each individual thing they thought was wrong. Some of which they wouldn't go into publicly. So. It's a whole lot easier just to use that general, generic term, Braves way, you know. And then when John Charles was asked to identify what it is, you know, his answer is kind of like, okay, well, what team's not looking for that? Right, you know? young guys young who win. That, yeah, young guys you can bring in and, and mold into championship players for year after year after year. Okay, well, who's not looking for that? I mean, <laughs> as far as I know, every team's looking for that type of thing. So, but, uh, but... But it served its purpose, you know, to talk about that, and I think it's something that you can take to, to the front office, the returning people, the people that are that are that are hired, and the people that are st- still around, which is the majority of people. You can take that to them and let them know, hey, we understand, we recognize that things have been uh, amiss recently, and we want to get back to this, and use that term, you know, Braves way, and make everybody feel good about it. So. Uh, you know, and the players. You even had the players kind of talking about, you know, that uh, we trust these three guys that are doing the hiring and all that, uh, Cox and, and John Hart and John Sherwell, that uh, they want to get back to the Braves. Well, you didn't have players saying that without rolling their eyes. So, you know, I can see it serves its purpose, but I don't know. It's not talking about the Braves' ways in, in and of itself is not going to accomplish anything. You're going to have to go out and do it, which uh, I think they're serious about doing it. I think John Hart is a, is a guy who uh, – he doesn't mess around. I mean, he he is a he's 66 years old, and this guy's got more energy than most most uh, front office people I know who are in their 40s with most teams. I mean, he is a very energetic, very fit, healthy guy, and he's well rested now. He's been out of it for a few years, you know, out of the daily grind for a few years, and he seems re-energized by you know rolling up his sleeves and getting to work uh, in recent weeks as as the interim GM. And I went from thinking there was no way he was going to take it and give up that lifestyle, that comfortable lifestyle that he has of being an, an, uh, a senior 
advisor slash uh, MLB network analyst. Uh, that's a comfortable, relatively easy lifestyle and pretty well paid. Uh, and I and I didn't think there was much chance that he would give that up to to go back to the daily grind of, of the really really hard work that that a you know, general manager job uh, entails. But I think there is a chance now that he does it. I, I, and the Braves are trying to wear him down, and uh, John Charles particularly into taking it. And I think uh, him being reenthused by what he's done lately and being back at the center of attention and the, you know having power and all that. Uh, I, I, I think there's a chance that he could take it. Now all that could change tomorrow. You know, I might hear something, or they might come out and announce that you know somebody else has got a job. But I, that's just my take on it. This week, it's really changed. And I went from thinking there was no chance to thinking there's a, uh, at least a decent chance, and the Braves want him to take it. You know, I think it's really easy in the fan base to say, uh, you know, John Hart. He's in his mid 60s. He's he. You know, he's an old guy. We need to bring in a young guy. We need the complete overhaul. But you think he uh-huh. could? You, you think that he really, at this age and at this point in his career, he could bring the kind of change that the Braves need? I have no doubt that he could do it at least for a couple of years, you know, and, uh, and then hand it off to someone else if he wanted to. But and, and I don't even know why there would have to be a limit of a couple of years. But right now, I don't think there's any doubt he could come in and do a great job in, in this position. He has the energy for it. The guy's fit. He doesn't have any health issues. I mean, if you didn't know he was 66, you'd never guess it from talking to him, looking at him, uh, watching him act, and uh, or watching him uh, do his job, and hear and hearing people talk about him doing his job. And he instills a lot of confidence in people. I mean, he he has that presence. He has that gravitas, and he walks into a room and takes charge. And there's something to be said for that, man. I mean, that's uh, and and here's the other thing. He's 66, and he was around. Before the whole game change started to change, you know, to the to the uh, uh, statistically statistically oriented game that it's become more in the last couple of decades, and teams have started hiring, you know, thirty to forty year old general managers and Ivy League and guys with MBAs and all that. He was around before that, obviously, but he's been up there with MLB Network and the guys he's hired when he was with the Rangers to to, to take over. And the guys, he's his protégés that he's hired and jobs underneath him have all been those type of guys. And he's had his thumb on this, the, uh, you know, the, the game, the pulse of the game, and he understands which way the game's gone. And he's not one of these guys that, uh, uh, that like, like John Sherholtz, you know, I wouldn't think John would, would I, I would have a different opinion of John, the, the chance of him stepping into the GM role again, than I do John Hart. And that's not at all a criticism of John Sherholtz, but John Sherholtz, hasn't been a guy that's been ever evolving with uh, like uh, like John Hart has, and and he's been you know up there at MLB Network talking to these young guys all the time, staying in tune with the current players, with the current managers and GMs, and how the game's gone. And he's not uh, he's not out of step at all. With uh, he's a, I don't want to say cutting edge, but this guy knows everything that's going on in the game, and he knows how to surround himself with with guys who are so inclined too. I mean, like. Copy, and he he he's, he loves working with Copy. He's worked with him quite a while now, and he really likes that. So uh, I think with input he'd have from other people, uh, along with uh, with his own knowledge and 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 his and his adaptability, I think he'd do fine in that job. I think he'd do a great job at it if he wants to do it. If he's you know decide he wants to do it, and I'm and I'm not one of these people either that thinks uh, that him taking a little bit to decide is a signal that oh you don't want a guy. It's not. Doesn't want is not 100 percent into it. No, I don't believe that at all. I, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want a guy just to jump and make a huge decision like that, a life changing decision, 
and that signals for some reason that, uh, you know, he's more uh, apt to do a great job than if he actually considers it for a while before he makes the decision. The Braves are not at a deficiency right now because he hasn't decided at all. I mean, he's working just as though he were the GM, and this is the period right now where it wouldn't matter anyway if they hired a full-time GM a week ago or they hired him, you know, two weeks from now. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be at a loss in any way, shape, or form during this period of the game right now, this particular period when the postseason play is going on, by not having a guy set in concrete right now that is their GM. Well, you mentioned earlier the the kind of manager management style of Frank Wren, the heavy-handedness, the micromanaging, whatever the word we want to use. Um, and Chipper came out in an interview he gave with 680 The Fan talking about um, how he felt that uh, some of the lineups were really – forced upon Freddie, uh, obviously I think the implications being BJ being in the lineup as much as he was and coming down from above and then him not having any choice over that. Do you, do we have evidence that that, that was the case no. that that was, does nope. that, this, I don't have any evidence of that and I'm not going to come out and say that I know it, that it happened because I don't, uh, you know, if there was, if Freddie felt pressure, I bet it was more implied than actually, you need to play BJ. You know, I don't think that was the case at all. I'd heard the opposite, actually. I'd heard that, that uh, Freddie was told late in the season when the Braves really started slipping and, you know, falling further behind the Nationals. I had heard that Frank Wren actually told him, play the best lineup. Play who you think's the best lineup. Don't, you don't need to play, you know, in other words, he told him, you know, let him know you don't need to play BJ. There's no, you don't have to do that because he's got three years left on his deal. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was told. And that Freddie Moore played him because Freddie's so conscious of the clubhouse and keeping guys uh, uh, doing the things he thought he needed to do to keep the clubhouse together and not divided and keep guys happy and all that. That he played the guys he did because of that. So was Freddie successful? There, maybe the truth lies, but I don't have the belief that. I mean, I don't. I don't have any reason to think. Other than BJ shouldn't have been playing and Freddie was playing him, that's the only reason that I, you I, you could say Frank must have told him to play him. I mean, in other words, I don't have any evidence that that's why he played him. David, do you think Freddie was successful in keeping the clubhouse together this year with those kind of moves? I never got a sense that the clubhouse was divided or anything. Like I said, I think it's just a, a, a more of a personnel thing. They don't have that type of take charge step to the front when things were going in September. It just begged for somebody to step up and call a team meeting. And, 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 and I don't think team meetings are the magic potion by any stretch. But if you've got, you know, we've been through these names before, but if the, uh, the guys like, if you've got an Eric Kinski, a David Ross, a Chipper Jones, Martin Prado, Brian McCann, Tim Hudson, if you've got these type of guys, you could call a team meeting and one or two or three of those guys could step up and go, look, guys, this is not this is not suitable. This can't fly. We have to play better, and we have to do this, and we have to do this, and we have to have a better approach with two strikes and two outs and a runner at third with less than two outs and blah, blah, blah. You have, and I, don't, you know, I just don't see that this team had any of those guys, much less two or three of them. So uh, um, to get back you know, to your question, I, I, I don't think he lost the clubhouse. I just don't think that he had, they had, that he had personnel that could run a clubhouse like that. Bobby Cox always had five, six, seven, ten guys like that on his team. And he had veterans up and down the, lo- the roster. Uh, just the pitchers alone, the big three pitchers alone. 
could could make sure that a team never went that far astray. You know, I mean, they had better teams than that for the most part, better talent, obviously. But those guys took charge. I mean, those guys ran the clubhouse, and Bobby didn't have to get in there all the time, and he could trust those guys. And when there were when there were fires, he had guys that could put it out for him, coaches that could put it out for him. But those veterans just ran a clubhouse a lot better than uh, than a team that doesn't have veteran leaders like that. So. I, I I just I, I keep coming back to the word dysfunctional. I think the offense was dysfunctional, and I think when it came to losing leadership, at the first of the year we asked the leadership question to people. We'd ask everybody from Frank Rand to Freddie Gonzalez to players themselves, and the answer was always, "Well, we don't really have a single leader like you know Brian McCann or Chipper Jones or who with Tim Hudson." Where we got, but we got a lot of guys who've played a few years now that can lead. We can all that, that we don't need one guy to lead. We're all leaders. You know, we all know how to go out and play the game now. We've been around it. Okay, that's fine when things are going well. But we've seen what happened when the season went south on these guys. And I think that void there became a glaring weakness. I think that that, that, that answer, now we don't really have one guy, but we're all leaders. That's fine when the, when the team's playing well. But uh, when, 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 when it really started to struggle, I saw a team that the, look, the blank look on guys' faces night after night. I didn't see any purpose, or, or not purpose. I didn't see any direction or anybody willing to show uh, emotion and take charge, and 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 that could present you know that uh, that kind of gravitas to a to a clubhouse in a closed door meeting and take charge. And and I think it was a real. I think it could have might have been it prevented things from going spiraling so far like they did in September. Uh, and, just to me, that was just obvious. And does John Hart is his management style more in the lines of of Schurholtz, where he delegates guys and then leaves them alone to kind of run their own operation? That's that's everything from everything I understand, and from what John Hart himself says, he's always prided and uh, taken a lot of pride in in hiring the right guys and surrounding himself with guys who, as he says, who are a lot smarter than I am. Uh, you know, their skill sets are different than his, and they're a lot smarter than he is, as he is, you know, self-deprecating uh, sense that he, of humor that he has. But, but I got his point, which is John Hart has a certain, his quality is leadership, uh, people person, great people person, get, can talk to people and, and, and really get them charged up and make them want to work. Whereas uh, the guys that he likes to surround himself, he might have a guy that's really analytical, a guy like Copy that can handle all the statistical information and all that, and and then a guy on the other side, you know, uh, to run the uh, to run the minor league system that you know, and he delegates and lets them do the job. That's from my understanding. That's exactly what he's like, and 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 like Sherholtz a lot in that regard, because Sherholtz is uh, his biggest skills, his people skills. He's an he's he's a terrific uh, management. Uh, he's a terrific manager of people. People want to work for him. You never heard people talk about not wanting to work for him, you know, when he was the GM. All right, so, David, you've mentioned the last few weeks you think B.J. will not be back next year, and the rest of the position players, it's kind of speculation at this point, but there's some real yes or no questions when it comes to the starting rotation. And let's finish up on this and do it rapid fire. So would you make a qualifying offer for Irvin Santana? Uh... God, that's a tough one, man. Given the Braves' payroll, unless it goes up to 120, 25 million, which I don't think it's going to, given their payroll, if it stays the same, I'd have to say no. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that because I thought it was a given for most of the season. Or when they got him, certainly I thought, you know, last spring that there was a given you'd make that qualifying offer because he's going to get multi-year offers. But I haven't watched him in an entire season. 
I don't know that I, I don't know that the Braves would want him back at fifteen million, and he might just accept it just like he did this year when he turned down the, uh, you know, when he was a free agent when the Royals made the offer. He thought he was going to get better offers, and he didn't get them. So he might have that in mind and say, "I'll take fifteen million and come back and have one more good season." Gibbs, so uh, long-winded answer. No, I don't think I would make it. Yeah, and last year no one took their qualifying offer, and it didn't work out for anyone. It was all no, late it signings. Didn't. It didn't. Um, all right. Would you give Medlin his arbitration raise? No, I would work out something with him uh, at a lesser rate than what he would get in arbitration. And, and I don't know what that would be, but I would try to at least. I would talk to him at least and make a legitimate, show legitimate interest in it. But you got to keep in mind, it's two Tommy John surgeries, and the track record is very, very few guys have come back and pitched at a high level. He might be the exception because he is a guy that uh, – he pitches with a lot on a lot of intelligence and guile and all that, and 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 he keeps himself in really good shape, and and he wants badly to come back, and he's a great guy in the clubhouse. If he wasn't a great guy in the clubhouse, I wouldn't even think about bringing him back, but he is. And I think it, uh, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the gamble, and also, uh, if it, you know, I don't know that you could do it with both of them, with him and Brandon, but I would talk and try to get at least get one of those guys back. Uh, and, and Medlin is a guy that I think I would try to, to work something out with because I think he's, you know, he's a smart guy and he's not going to ask for hold out for top dollar. He wants to be here, you know, if they want him here. So I'd try. So Medlin one A, Beachy one B. Probably, but I'm not as aware of what Beachy where he is in his throwing program and all that. He wasn't around as much, so I talked to Medlin quite a few times about where he was and he's really progressing well. So I'm not certain on Beachy where he is. You know, where if he's had any setbacks, I don't think he has, but I'm not as certain about him. So. All right, and Aaron Harang has expressed interest in coming back. Would you re-sign him for two, three million next year? Oh, if you get him at that rate, yeah. I don't know that you'd be able to, though. I mean, after the year that he had, I think some team might offer him two, a, a, a contract for a couple of years. You know, with the with the prices that we've seen on free agency and pitching in recent years, a lot lesser pitchers than him have gotten. You know, <laughs> some deals that left you shaking your head and. But I'd try to get him back. I would. I think he'd be a great to bring back as a fifth starter, which we thought was going to be his role this year, and he ended up being a lot better than that. So He ended up vying for what's team there MVP. And, yeah, depending on what's out there, you know, obviously, uh, and, your, and your situation with Medlin and all that. But you, if you bring back Medlin or Beach, you can't count on those guys. I mean, you don't know when they're going to be back anyway. So uh, I think, yes, I think Harang uh, was a really good influence on pitchers and and wants to be back here, and uh, I think he could do what he did this year. I don't see any reason he couldn't do it again next year, or you know, or something close. So I think he'd be fine as a fifth starter, but you might have to pay him a little more than you than you, what you're thinking he might be going to get. All right, folks, please read David throughout the off season at AJC.com and on Twitter. David, a pleasure as always, man. Have a great winter, and we'll speak to you soon. Okay, thank you. So, guys, you, you know the thing that stuck out to me the most about the Dave O'Brien interview was how excited he was at the prospect of John Hart and what a great job he thought he would do as a GM. You know, I think that it's been easy to be like, oh, the three old guards sitting at the table and the this good old boy network and John Hart, if they make him, they, he's, pat, you know. But DOB was clearly very impressed by him, and I thought that that was good news since it seems more and more every day that he's going to be it. Don't you think? Yeah, totally. And uh and I also think it was interesting um when we asked about if Frank were if they had won the same number of games or made the playoffs this year, 
that this whole uh, organ or uh, the leadership Frank Wren of course would have would have been kept in place and the guy that was the head of scouting would have been kept in place despite clear uh, signals that neither one of them uh, should have been kept in place I mean you know I mean it sounds like there was a lot of discord there was a lot of issues their farm systems obviously in terrible shape so maybe as a Braves fan we look on this with a silver lining and that uh, we got rid of these guys and the full makeover will come and, and brighter things are ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's still a little hard to believe that on paper, Frank had to go not knowing about any of the behind the scenes stuff at all. Because, Fra- you know, there were a lot of great things Frank did. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. The, the wrong guy got fired. You know, that was sort of my mantra when all this went down. Um, but, you know, not having that that glimpse behind the curtain of what was going on, if you have a dysfunctional organization, not much good is going to come out of it. But speaking of dysfunctional, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about this, the three of us. The announcement about Freddie coming back when they haven't announced a GM and and DOB essentially saying, look, with with Bobby's proclamation about what a great job Freddie's done and the thinking in the front office that he just didn't have the tools to be successful, I still don't get the even though we haven't named a GM, the decision's been made about this most important cog in your, you know, in your staff, new GM. You have no choice around your manager. I just, it just seems like a very backward way to run an organization. I'd be surprised if it's not unprecedented. I don't think it's like the first time that has ever happened. Right. Where you feel maybe you've got a manager who's got good rapport with the players. And by all accounts, he does. I mean, you may not have seen the outcome on the field, but if you listen to people, the players, they, they like Freddie. He's a good players manager. Uh, he did have some horrible pieces in the lineup. I mean, that none of that's not true. It doesn't really speak to his ineptness in game. But I, I, I don't think, I mean, it seems a little off, but I don't think it's a completely like, no way would you ever hire a GM if, if they had to take the manager. I, I just don't buy that. I think that it's maybe slightly unconventional, but certainly not unprecedented. Yeah, I, well, maybe it's not unprecedented, but I still think it's insanity. I really do. Unless, of course, and I don't know why they would sort of make announcements in this order, but unless they've decided that Hart or Copy are the GM and then the decision's already been made, clearly they weren't going to change their minds on, on Freddie. I, I, yeah, to me, it is just backward and nonsensical, but only, I mean, in this situation, right? With the Braves, with Freddie, it's, I mean, cause you're down on Freddie, obviously, like most of the Braves fans, but you know, I mean, I think, I, I think it's unique to this situation where you really wanted Freddie gone. I think that's coloring your opinion on this. Maybe no, a bit. I, I don't look if, if for some reason a GM gets fired and the manager just had a bunch of really good seasons in a row, and of course, this is a different conversation, but you've had historic collapses. I mean, you know, you've had all the stuff that goes with Freddie. So just because I lost the bet with you, Hammy, that Freddie is going to be back <laughs> next year that we made after the show a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Don't turn that around on me. I won't. I'll let you I'll let you believe what you want to believe. <laughs> well, and I will offer and Ham, you obviously have not heard the interview, but I will add that. It's even more disturbing when we asked him about Chipper's comments. Um, that Chipper, of course, suggesting on 680 The Fan that 
Frank Wren was basically directing the lineup and, and Freddie had little control over it. And we discussed that some that like, yes, well, even if he tells you to play BJ, you don't bat BJ uh, first in your lineup. And then Dave O'Brien, obviously he doesn't, he didn't, he said he didn't know, but that he had actually heard that Frank Wren told him not to play BJ, yeah. that he didn't or have to play BJ. you don't BJ. have to. Right. Yeah. That to not use that as some crux as to why crutch as to why he has to be in the lineup, and that Freddie continued to play BJ for some sort of uh, clubhouse uh, continuity issue, which is just insane. When, well, when your season's falling apart, it certainly gets more insane. Sure, and he's the worst offensive player in the majors, but we all know BJ very well. All right. Um, So, guys, let's go back and see how we did on the predictions that we made in March. They were mostly about the Braves, but also about the postseason, who would go to the World Series and all that stuff. So, Kurt, walk us through. How did we do? Um, I kind of hit or miss. I hit much more than both of you guys did. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right off the bat. Let's hear the the bets. Let's check the Well, and some of them were, you know, we we went in with some optimism. Uh, Obviously, the first two were about Ugla and BJ. Ugla over and under batting average, 235. We all went over. God. (laughs) Steve even calling a 248. And, of course, we know how that all turned out. Uh, BJ, we all went under, so we all got a point there. But we all thought he would bat like 240, and he batted 208. Do um, you have Ugla's final batting average with us? 162. Really? Ugla was 162 at the end of his this yeah. year with the Braves? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, starting pitching, starting pitcher with the best ERA, Ham went minor mm. uh, with a 477. Steve went Santana, called for a huge season for Santana, which he had a he had a very nice season for us. 395 ERA, not so much. I called Tehran, who had a 289 ERA, which of the three was the best, but the best on the team was Wood with his 278 ERA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all picked Vinners coming back or not coming back, having no effect on the team, which oh, seemed did like we? Yeah, which seemed like a no-brainer uh, now in hindsight, but yes, we had no faith in him. Uh, home run leader. This was one for the books. Hamilton called Ugla <laughs> with 25 homers. He, of course, hit two. Steve called Hayward with 27. He hit a sad 11. And I called Justin Upton with 28. He hit 29. Thank you very nice. much. Nice. Curtis. Wow, very good, Kurt. Yeah. So that's really the only point we have so far, right? Other well, than... we all got points for going under on BJ's. Sure, but that's the on one where we're different. Yes. Yes. Uh, offensive MVP, Ham and I went with Freeman. Uh, Steve went with Hayward, which uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's got to go with Upton. If it's not Upton, it's Hayward. Uh, but Justin Upton, of course, because he he definitely had the best numbers in most of the, the power categories. Yeah, it was um, Upton. It's Upton. Yeah. Wins over and under on 91. Ham and I both went under. Steve went over. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ham was the Ham was the closest with eighty seven. Of course they won seventy nine. Um National League went uh Ham went uh Nats, Cards, Dodgers, Arizona, Atlanta. Mm. Uh Steve went Nats, Cards, Dodgers, Atlanta, Milwaukee. I went Nats, Cards, Dodgers, San Francisco, and Atlanta. Um so I only missed one, of course, which was Pittsburgh. Atlanta, uh, excuse me, American League, um, lots well, of Boston. Well, you missed Atlanta. 
Y- right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But right. he got everybody else. He was, I mean, yeah, you were closer than both of us. Missed that one. Yeah. Missed one team, which was Atlanta over Pittsburgh in the, in the wild card. Uh, Ham American League's picks were Red Sox, Tigers, um, Texas. <laughs> yeah. A's and Rays. So you got two of those right. <laughs> Steve went Boston, Detroit, Oakland, Tampa, and Kansas City, which so he got Look at me. Three right, but of course the A's went in as a wild card, not as the division leader. And once again, I missed one team. I picked the Yankees instead of Baltimore, and then I picked Tigers, Angels, Royals, and A's. So only missed out of the ten wild card team or ten playoff teams. I only missed two. Not too bad. So Ham picked L.A. over Boston. Not so much. Uh, Steve picked the A's over the Dodgers, and I picked the Cards over the Tigers. So none of us will have a clean World Series. Uh, Ham and I are the only ones still alive with a team that could actually win the World Series. So, nice, you know, Curtis. Yeah, I went Ham, again. Ham, my favorite part of that was that you predicted Ugla to have the most homers on the <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. Lots of optimism for Ugla. Why? Why were we thinking that? Well, because Ugla, like, can't, you know, he had. Wasn't this off season when he changed his diet and he came in thinner and he was changing his approach and he had a kind of decent spring. Right. Right. So we were Man. all ready to believe. And we just I assume figured that there's no way that he could continue to suck as bad as he had. Yeah. Which we were wrong because yeah, it was worse. Silly of us. All right, so uh, you know, speaking of the playoffs guys, it's been an unbelievable week. Any quick thoughts about what we've seen this week, Hammy? Um, that I hate every team in the National League. Uh, it was good to see Hudson pitch so well the other night, even how though he was that? not part of it. Yeah, it was great. And how about, did you guys hear Hudson's quote um, after they won the play-in game, talking about that they were about to face the Nationals, and he was like, you know, they got a lot of talented guys over there, but when you get into the playoffs, it's about what's between your legs. Whoa. Yeah, which was just fantastic. And then <laughs> to back it up and go out there and pitch like he did last night. Unbelievable. Yeah. Really good. Very happy yeah. for him. But very happy for uh, for the Royals. Uh, just a really exciting story. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of, you know, I'm glad to see the Tigers just unceremoniously swept. It looks like the Angels are going right behind them. So uh, it's, 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 you know, it's fun to cheer for the American League now. And and I want the Royals to win it all, followed closely by the Orioles. So I saw a great tweet tonight by David Lee, who's a guy that writes for the, a Savannah paper. And he said that assuming the Royals go on to win this series and face the Orioles, it'll be the first time ever that a team in the Royals um, last in homers, first in stolen bases, will face a team first in homers, last in stolen bases. Hmm. How about that? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Curtis, how about you? Um, I honestly, other than tracking the scores, I have I have not watched an inning of baseball, and I and it's sad because I know that I you I I, I do check the scores, and all these games look like they're unbelievable. I couldn't believe that the the Cardinals came back and beat the Dodgers the other night. I watched actually, I have watched an inning or two. I watched yeah, about two Curtis innings of that gave game. Up eight. I mean. When when yeah. LA was just slapping Wainwright around, yeah. and so I turned it off, and then uh, saw that they had come back. You know, I, I guess sadly, I, I just tried to envision the Braves being in that scenario, and that they would never come back in a game like that. 
All these magical moments, all these clutch moments. I mean, it has been a clutch first week of the playoffs. And the Braves just haven't had one of those in forever. You know what I mean? Like, when was no. the last really amazing clutch moment in, in for the Braves? I mean, and well, Homer. And, yeah, and even one that that ended up on the right side. Right, that I then mean, stuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have yeah, yeah, you have Hensky's Homer, obviously, but I mean, the last one was was probably Tom Glavin and David Justice, because you think about how clutch Game Seven by John Smoltz was um, against the Twins, and they lost that game. So yeah, yeah, it but really how about is the anti Braves out there? How about Kershaw being the only pitcher ever to give up? Seven earned runs in consecutive games, it, consecutive postseason games. Consecutive right? postseason games because that's so he gave up seven against the Cards last year in Game Six when they got beat beat at or they were uh, eliminated. And then this year, his next postseason start, he gives up eight. He's the only pitcher ever to have done that. I mean, could you imagine if he gets slapped around in his next start? All of a sudden, he'll have a he'll you know he'll have a cemented reputation. Oh, yeah. Of the playoffs are too big for him. You know, I mean, it changes every perception about him if he can't perform in the playoffs. And and let's talk about the Nats. I mean, honestly, they've played a hell of a, you know, hell of a two good games. They really come out on the short end, but it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of guys. I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. not, I'm not unhappy about it. <laughs> that game yesterday was just amazing. It just went on forever and ever and ever. And it, I was, it was nice that, as I was keeping track of it, they would occasionally flash the stat of the only other game that was longer, that, you know. Or that, that went 18 innings. That when it was the Braves-Astros. That Hudson also started. That's right. How about that? That's right. Yeah. I forget who won that game. Yeah, I, mm. don't, I don't remember. And I don't I'll remember have to look it, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Burke. So None guys, of those now- names ring a bell. Now that things have changed some, do you want to make new World Series predictions? Who's who's there and who wins it? I mean, because I had well, I'll start because I had Dodgers Angels, you know, and I'll and I had the Dodgers winning. I'll I will go Dodgers Orioles now, and the Dodgers still win. Kurt, I don't even remember who I picked. Yeah, I wasn't listening to you when you said it. On yeah, the- yeah, I, I think I had the, I think I had the Angels winning the World Series. Um, I'll go Orioles over the Giants. Hmm. Hammy. Well, I picked the Dodgers over the Orioles, and I will stick with that just because they're both they're both still in play yeah. there. Well, there you go. Yeah, but I'm rooting for the uh, Royals. Did I did I say that already? You just did, you did say that for my brother in law who might listen to this. Really so really so we can hire Dayton Moore and Ned Yost immediately. I know, exactly. <laughs> Ned Yost, just, the only person who could unseat Freddie Gonzalez. Yes. Yeah. And so we could well, wait eight years before anything came to culmination with that combined effort. Oh, I, it doesn't it feel a little arrogant that we would just assume that Dayton Moore would want to come back to the Braves? Like there's a lot of trade talk going on. I mean, so take Dayton Moore out of it, where people are like, you know what we should do is we should go get Kershaw. Why don't we just trade for Kershaw? Like people think that like they just naturally assume that everybody would want to leave their current job where they're in the postseason with a good roster and then come to the Braves. Well, that's just but, ignorant. It's just I mean, ignorant. It's not even you know, it's just ignorant that kind of we'll trade for Kershaw. 
Well, but so let's talk about. Do you think it's ignorant to just assume that Dayton Moore is going to leave Kansas City to come back to the Braves because he was under Sureholtz's tutelage? Well, I don't think it's ignorant. I think maybe it's arrogant, like you said first. Yes, but there is there is certainly possibility in that, g- given his ties to the team and Sureholtz and everything. All right. Yeah, I don't think it's that likely. Honestly, I don't think Dayton Moore ends up being the GM here. I really no, it don't. Doesn't seem like a good time to leave Kansas City. <laughs> yes, as you're well, like, as you're reaping the benefits of everything you've built for yeah, the last exactly. eight years. See ya, Bobby called, and I think he's got ties to that area as yeah, well. Yeah, I think I read that too. All right, so guys, we're gonna wrap up the season here. So um, we'd like to thank everyone who makes this show possible every year. Our web guy and producer, Mike. Our bloggers, Sean and Mike. Um, our wives for putting up with this year after year. Uh, <laughs> all of you that listen, really, we appreciate more than you know. Um, and Ham, Kurt, thanks for another great year. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you too, Stevie. Yes, hopefully we get more wins next year. Or if we don't get more wins, we get something that gets us excited that we know something great is right around the corner. Well, and hopefully... There's going to be a lot of big developments this offseason, and that's when we will come back. So we will come back throughout the offseason whenever big stuff happens. And, God, it seems like there should be plenty of that when do you guys think few months. So a little yeah. bet here. When do you think BJ goes? In the next before, before Thanksgiving? No, I think it'll be in December because I think the the winter meetings in December will happen where they will try to strike any deal they can. And then if they can, obviously it'll happen then. But if they can't, then they're going to, you know, maybe they release him in December. But I think it happens before the new year. Do you think there's any chance BJ plays another game for the Braves? I don't. I really and don't know. you think if he goes, we need to prep ourselves that someone is – some important piece is going along with him mm-hmm. well it's a, it's a blood ransom we're losing either a huge prospect we're losing a huge prospect or a huge pitcher i bet do we mine. do we have any huge prospects but, i don't but, know well, but but <laughs> shut but, up kurt you know but that that ignores the possibility that they just release him they could just release him you know if you're going to pay 90 cents on the dollar and give up somebody just release him yeah, I mean, if you, that's a good point. If you're going to have to trade Alex Wood, who was the cornerstone of your your rotation for the next eight to ten years, just to get rid of B.J. Upton, it's probably worth eating that money. You can't replace that. Yeah, unless – well, I mean, I think that they look at it. If, if they're going to give up a big piece like that, then the, the team getting B.J. is going to pay a ton of that money, and they will use that money to replace the piece. But, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's more likely that BJ just gets released. Yeah, I can't imagine a team wanting him. He and him. Dan can vacation together and stuff. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is the show. So please make sure you have us in your RSS feeds or subscriptions on iTunes or Stitcher so that you don't miss any of our weekly shows. And as always, check us out at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com for past shows, to check out our blogs, and to post in our comments section. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at ATL Baseball Talk and on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and go Braves! Thanks for listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. To find new shows, to post in our forum, or to send a comment, please visit us at atlantabaseballtalk.com. Had to admit the problem.
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.